On this show, we discuss crimes that are often graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is part two of Satan's Puppets. We'll discover a little more about Robin Murphy, and we will finally talk more about Carl Drew. I'm your host, Paulette, and this is Crime Biscuit. When we finished part one, Karen Marsden had been brutally murdered by, allegedly, Carl Drew and Robin Murphy. While finishing up the research for this part, I finally found the names of the people, but I'm going to wait and drop them on you later in this episode. First, let me straighten last episode's twisted timeline a bit. Doreen Levesque is murdered. Robin claims to be present, but doesn't see or hear her murdered. Then the murder of Barbara Raposa happens, and Robin sees Andy Maltese kill Barbara. When Robin, who until now has been very vocal and threatening to people who talk to the cops, goes to the cops herself, maybe to be seen as cooperative. I say this because Robin finally agrees to spill the beans just one day after Karen Marsden is last seen. Andy is already in police custody for a couple of weeks at this point. Robin ends up in Texas in an attempt by police to protect her while the case is built. In Robin's recounting of events, she doesn't tell them, as in the authorities, that Lynn was also there. And how does this knowledge come about? How do the police find out? Because Robin phones Anne the Satan mural lady whom she used to be in a relationship with, and tells Anne that she killed Karen in some kind of twisted effort to win Anne back. Anne tells the police this. Now let's remember Lynn, who was at first threatened by Robin along with Karen to keep their mouths shut, is also there when Karen is murdered. With this information provided by Satan mural Anne, the police contact Lynn. After they get Lynn's version of events, Robin is brought back to Massachusetts and arrested. Now back in custody, Robin agrees to testify against Carl for Karen's murder. But she changes her story some now in regards to Doreen's murder. She claims that Karen was also there when Doreen was murdered and that witnessing that murder traumatized Karen. That reaction, Karen's reaction, is ultimately why Carl Drew killed Karen. According to Robin, Carl was afraid that Karen was going to talk to the police. Robin also claims that she didn't want to kill Karen, but participated because Carl would have killed her if she hadn't. So on one hand, Karen says, not Karen, sorry, Robin says that Karen was killed to silence her. But Robin also claims that Karen's murder was a sacrifice to Satan. Robin also says that Doreen's murder was also a sacrifice to Satan. Maybe it was both. Who knows? But some authorities think that Carl Drew used the satanic angle just to keep the women in line. And is anyone else as thoroughly confused as I am? With all of this information, some that conflicts and some that jives, here is what the quote-unquote official account of the murders ends up being when the state takes on Carl Drew. In a neat little package, their stance is this. Carl Drew got up to his criminal activities by using the satanic angle to keep the girls that worked for him in line, and when getting revenge on those who didn't toe the line. They also believed he offered blood to Satan as payment for power. From what I could glean from the Lines and Strings and Strange Days articles, Cole, on all things, I really am having a problem here, 
on all things interesting. The official paperwork doesn't make a big deal when it comes to the satanic part of it at all. On the other hand, the media made a much bigger deal of it. The media also lumped Barbara Raposa's murder in with it, which we know was done by Andy. And even though Andy is sort of circling in the same orbit as Carl Drew, Barbara's murder wasn't committed by Carl or done as a sacrifice to Satan. So Robin, because she agreed to testify against Drew, got herself a deal. She would plead guilty to second-degree murder, and she'd be eligible to apply for parole after 20 years. Carl and Andy were both given life without possibility of parole. Andy ended up dying in prison. Carl is still behind bars and still says he's innocent. More about him and what he has to say in a minute. Back to Robin. In 1983, the state is getting ready to go after the other guy that was with Carl when Doreen was murdered. So they want to go over Robin's testimony. Except, guess what? Robin now says that she lied about that. Actually, about everything. She claims her attorney made her lie and that she only knew what she did about Doreen's murder because Karen told her. Let's jump forward almost 20 years to 2004. At the parole hearing, remember Robin is eligible for parole to apply for parole after 20 years. Robin claims that she believed that Carol killed Karen and other women as well. She wholeheartedly believed Carl belonged in jail, but didn't figure the wheels of justice were going to take him there. She says she made the story up by piecing together different accounts of what Drew might have done and about the satanic cult. Robin goes on to claim that she told the assistant DA, Devin, excuse me, David Wexler, that she was lying. Robin ends up getting paroled. I don't know how you get paroled after admitting you lied to get someone else put in jail, but she does. She seemed to do okay for herself for a few years, but in August of 2011, she violates her parole. Namely, she is pulled over by state troopers in July, and they find heroin in the purse of a former female felon that is in the car with Robin. In March of 2012, Robin goes before a parole board hearing and says she didn't know the woman that was in the car with her. It was just someone she was giving a ride to. Robin also said she didn't know the woman was a felon or had heroin on her. She goes on to deny again that she was in any way involved with Karen Marsden's murder. Well, here's the deal. Not only did she violate parole by being with a felon and one who had drugs with her, she lied to the parole board when she said she didn't know the woman. Turns out the woman was actually her girlfriend and they'd known each other for years. No parole for Robin. For what it's worth, she was up again in 2017. She's still there. The parole board has no problem saying they don't find her trustworthy. One, because she keeps denying participation in the crimes for which she was convicted. And then she lies about her parole violation in 2011. There are quite a few people, including author Henry Scamell and former detective Sylvia, who are of the opinion that Robin Murphy was actually the primary force behind the satanic killings. Now about Carl Drew and the rabbit hole I fell into, which is why this episode is a couple days late. I really have done my best to not get too bogged down, but I think some of this needs to be looked at in order to say we gave it a fair and balanced look from all angles. 
right off the bat, I am going to say this, even though I have already said it, I'm going to say it again. Carl Drew has, from day one, claimed he did not kill anyone. And he still says that today. So hold that in the back of your mind while we examine Carl Drew. Carl was born in 1954 in New Hampshire. He grew up on a farm, and according to secondhand accounts, his father was abusive. A former girlfriend of Carl said that Carl had told her his father would force him to help slaughter animals like chickens and pigs. Carl hated slaughtering animals, and he also hated something else his dad made him do. There was this hole in the ground that was referred to as the slaughter pit, and Carl would be forced to get down in there and get the dead carcasses back out of it. Apparently, he was also made to dismember a horse that died in a barn fire, I believe. Not wanting to slaughter animals seems sort of out of character for someone who has supposedly sacrificed animals and reportedly people to Satan. The fact that Carl wasn't from Massachusetts, which made him an outsider, is why he claims the cops singled him out as the one who murdered Marsden and Levesque. Drew did, though, have a reputation in Fall River. Women who were either sex workers or who knew sex workers said they were afraid of Drew. Karen was certainly afraid of Drew. She told police that Drew had killed Doreen and that he might kill her as well. She believed that Carl had the power of Satan. Power he'd gotten from taking victims to the res and sacrificing them. Drew definitely had a reputation for getting violent with the girls that worked for him. He'd break their noses, threaten them, and so on. Not a nice guy, basically. He'd potentially been responsible for killing a man who he'd injured so badly the man had ended up dying. You can imagine, as Carl's up against the murder charges, this propensity for violence certainly didn't work in his favor. Being an alleged Satanist certainly didn't either. The reputation he carried and the fact that he was one of the main players on the street made him a good point of focus for the investigation into Karen's death and the authorities liked him for Doreen's murder as well. But it is important to note charges were never filed against Drew for Doreen's murder. Despite Andy being the one responsible for Barbara Raposa's murder, there were articles from media outlets that tried to attribute all three murders Doreen, Barbara, and Karen, to Carl. Carl Drew was only ever convicted of Karen's murder. So let's take a little peek back at the idea of satanic panic. In this area, like I said earlier, any hint of something satanic was often blown up into something almost epic. It didn't help that even the police around this particular case kind of bought into it to some degree. Case in point. Remember Detectives Paul Carey and Alan Sylvia attending one of these services that happened to be at Anne's apartment? According to Anne, the point of the meeting was to pray to Satan and try to conjure him. She claims that on many occasions they'd get Satan into the room. And how would they know that? According to her, he'd be in a form where they'd feel his presence or he might choose to possess one of them. Anne went on to basically say that you could just tell when Satan was there and that some of the attendees of these meetings would let him speak through them in his own language, which no human should be able to do. She also described the sacrifices of animals when the ceremonies were held at the res. Blood and guts of goats or cats were dumped on the heads of participants, some not willingly, who were bound to trees. She admitted that prior to Doreen Levesque's murder, 
There had been rumors floating about in regards to human sacrifices, but she personally didn't know of any. The service that was attended by Sylvia and Carrie wasn't super excited. The participants, which included Carl Drew and Robin Murphy, amounted to attendees sitting in a circle and chanting, Hail Satan. And then nothing. Nothing at all happened. Except, one account I read says, one of the detectives said someone started speaking in a male voice that could not have possibly come from them. I also read that someone in the police department, the Fall Rivers Police Department, was feeding this satanic information or idea to media outlets leaking it prior to the trial. Either they bought into it or they were just trying to stack the uh, deck. The deck against Carl. So now, with what Anne told police in the back of your mind, I'm going to give you a quote from Carl Drew. This is on theinjusticesystem.net. So this will give you an idea of what his mindset was. Carl says, quote, Some may think we lived life on the edge. You have to keep in mind that it was the only thing we knew. It was the way we raised ourselves with little to no alternative left us in those days. People were more into the free-spirited effects of the times and not worrying about what was happening with kids left on their own in the street. Some of us came to believe in the gothic lifestyle of ancient times, where we lived life by night. In many ways, this was to avoid authority. No evil, dark, macabre nonsense. We found interest in what was described as the gothic way, something real that could be savored and relished in just enjoying the whole beauty and aspects of our world and survival, end quote. According to Scamell, in the woods near where Karen Marsden's remains were found, there were some other things. Before we look at that, though, let's talk about Karen's remains. These remains were found by a man clearing brush in an area behind his property in Westport. That's a small town near Fall River. It wasn't her body, though. It was a partial skull, the calvarium to be exact, which is just the top half of the skull. There were strands of hair with a little bit of scalp attached, clothing, and some jewelry found nearby. When the police get there, the man who found the partial skull and his two sons are still searching. They find a sock, a pair of inside-out jeans, some underwear, and a shoe. There is also a jacket and two sweaters twisted together with a woman's watch trapped inside the sleeve, which would lead one to believe that it was pulled off quickly and in one kind of fell swoop, which is how the watch was trapped in there. Now, all this was before DNA evidence was a thing. So an anthropologist from the Smithsonian came in to examine the calvarium. The way that they ended up identifying it as belonging to Karen was by an x-ray of her sinuses. She apparently was suffering from, I'm guessing, some severe sinus headaches, which were attributed to a distinctly malformed sinus on one side. The malformation was seen on both Karen's x-ray from her doctor and the partial skull that was found. That's the remains that were found and identified as Karen. The other things I mentioned a second ago were three decomposing cats arranged in a pattern and a row of gray stones from a wall nearby laid out in a straight line in the same way as the cats. Detective Carey was super interested in this discovery but it didn't appear that any other investigators were. And this has to be viewed under the light of the stories that circulate in the area about sacrificed animals being found in the Freetown Fall River State Forest. It's interesting to note that the forest is considered a hotspot of paranormal activity. 
That would be because it's one of the points of the Bridgewater Triangle, which is supposedly home to demons, Bigfoot, big feet, multiple Bigfoots, ghosts, and UFOs. If you want to know more about the legends surrounding it, there is a podcast called Morbid that does an episode on the Bridgewater Triangle. Another incident connected to the Freetown Fall River State Forest is the murder of Lua Ruda in 1978. The 15-year-old disappeared from her hometown of Raynham, Massachusetts. Her bike was found at the side of the road, but no sign of her. Two months later, a guy out riding a dirt bike found her body tied to a tree by the neck. James Cater would be later found guilty of that murder. We can see how this place has quite a reputation, and none of this would work well for Carl when he went to trial, which we are going to talk about now. The trial had to be moved to a different county because of all of the press coverage that Karen's murder had gotten. And like I just said, there was some suspicion that the Fall River PD was leaking things to the media that had to do with the whole satanic angle. And the Bridgewater Triangle is there. People already think evil, crazy, paranormal stuff gets going in that forest. So it had to be moved. And then Judge Keating, who is going to preside over the case, tells the jury that they need to disregard their own religious beliefs when hearing this case. In fact, the DA believed that he had enough evidence to prove Carl guilty that he didn't even need to use the satanic angle. And yet, there ended up being multiple references to Satanism, ones that might not have dealt directly with the murder, but attaching them to Carl Drew as his own personal beliefs. After saying they didn't need the satanic angle to go after Drew, they still had him take his jacket off on the stand to show the jury his tattoos, some of which showed satanic imagery and wording. They also asked Drew to confirm that Anne had one of the very same tattoos herself. So this is pretty much pointing to the idea of a cult. Maybe it was to present a motive that would be based in a satanic ritual by this cult, but the prosecution never came out and said that couple of other questionable moves that happened were that the prosecution made Drew hold evidence that was found near where Karen's skull was found. These items they made him hold were clothing and jewelry. His attorney objected to this, but Judge Keating allowed it. They also were able to get testimony into the trial stating that Karen had witnessed the ritual killing of Doreen Levesque. This is despite the fact that Drew was never charged with that murder. So let's review the case against Carl Drew. He has always said he's innocent. He's a jerk, yes. And he has a violent streak, yes. But there is no known physical evidence that ties him to Karen Marsden's murder. And the star witness that the prosecution used to convict him, Robin Murphy, has since recanted her testimony. Here is what Carl Drew has to say. This has been published on the internet since his conviction. Drew believes Robin and a man named Carl Davis killed Karen. In Drew's own words, quote, It seemed Satan had his paws dug so deep into her that nothing seemed too crazy for her to do to those who crossed her path. So who is Carl Davis? This is who Carl Drew says he is. Davis had been in prison for something, and on his first day out, he goes to Sonny's place. Who the hell is Sonny, you're asking? Well, Sonny is Anne, the Satan mural lady. Her name is actually Sonny Sprata. So Davis goes to Sonny's place with a knife in hand and tries to kill a slightly built woman who was three months pregnant at the time. 
he hits her with his fists and kicks her with his booted foot. Then he stabs her in the head while screaming, I know Robin told you it was me, not Carl Drew, who helped her, and I will kill you before I go back to jail. Sonny's neighbor hears this commotion, comes out to see what's going on. Davis somehow ends up cutting off this guy's hand. And while Davis is awaiting trial for the cult murders, he gets a five to seven year sentence for the assault at Sonny's apartment. You might be super confused now. Carl Davis, I discovered while wallowing in the rabbit hole, is the guy I referred to in episode one as John, who was present in Karen's murder, along with Lynn, whose name is actually Carol. So now you have to relearn the players. It was Carol and Carl Davis and Robin that were there the night Karen was killed. But here's the rub. According to Carl Drew, he was not there. He also says that the night Karen was murdered, Robin Murphy climbed into Carol Fletcher's bedroom window and Robin threatened Carol by saying that when we are questioned, you better say that both of the Carls were there and that it was Carl Drew that handed me the knife and told me to kill Karen. Carol fled to Washington because she was afraid to testify. The state police brought her back, but she was still so filled with terror at testifying that she tried to kill herself by jumping out of a window. Carol was given complete immunity, and on the stand, she said what Robin reportedly told her to say. Later, Carol recants her statement, but nothing comes of that either. Lots of people are recanting lots of stuff. Sonny Sprada is supposedly taken into a back room at the courthouse and threatened by D.A. Ronald Pina, Pina, P-I-N-A, don't know how you say it, Assistant D.A. Wexler and the public defender, John Berkness who, mind you, is supposed to be defending Carl Drew. The DA is reportedly screaming at Sonny and saying that if she says anything that might help Drew, she will lose custody of her two-year-old special needs child. Supposedly, they also tell Sonny that they will make an attractive plea deal with Carl Davis, and it will be such a good deal that they can get him to say anything they want. Apparently, the public defender... Drew's defender was present and just allows it to happen. Sonny gets on the stand and pleads the fifth because she doesn't want to lie on the stand. But before they can get her off of the stand, she is yelling, quote, they're making me say this by scaring me. I want to tell the truth. And the judge responds by ordering her out of the courtroom. According to Drew, there was another witness, Leah Johnson, who had three prostitution cases pending against her. Leah was threatened with a two-and-a-half-year prison sentence and the removal of her children from their grandmother's custody. Drew surmises that the state used three vulnerable women, Carol, Sonny, and Leah, to testify falsely against him. Drew also claims that he had ineffective assistance of counsel. I already mentioned that his defender is in the room while supposedly the DA is threatening people to not tell the truth, to basically say what they need them to say to get Carl convicted. But here's another little fact. This comes out after Henry Scamal's book is published. The public defender, John Berkness, assigned to Carl, had never defended anyone and had never been involved in a murder trial. The Bristol County legal system had appointed Berkness to Drew, and that doesn't seem right in my humble opinion. Our system is still built on innocent until proven guilty and to assign a public defender 
that's never defended anyone to someone facing a potential life sentence doesn't seem very just to me. Now, my listeners might be thinking I'm defending Carl Drew to a degree. As I stated earlier, he was a shady character and he was definitely a criminal. However, I'm not so sure he was a murderer. And whether you're a rotten person or not, you don't deserve to serve a life sentence for a crime you didn't commit. If he didn't, I'm not 100% sure either way. But let me share this with you. Detective Paul Carey, who at the time was one of the investigators paramount in getting Drew convicted, has in the years since changed his mind. Carey holds the opinion that Drew was not involved in Karen's murder, nor Doreen's. He believes Robin Murphy was the one who committed all three murders. He even did a piece for a local newspaper. I'm going to read part of it to you right now. Quote, but I still believe Murphy was the real ringleader, not Drew. That Levesque was murdered because Murphy was also in love with her and became jealous when Levesque started seeing Drew. I believe Murphy and Marsden were present when Levesque was killed. I think Murphy killed Raposa because Raposa was in love with Malte. Murphy admitted that she and Raposa had previously been lovers. And I believe Murphy killed Marsden because of the two previous murders. Marsden was at the scene of those murders, and I believe Murphy knew she was the weak link and might get them convicted. Also, Murphy later admitted during the Levesque investigation that she lied in naming two other men as Levesque's killers. She later told the DA that she didn't even know the men she had accused. The DA was then forced to release the men. No one was ever prosecuted for the murder of Levesque, end quote. There might not be any evidence to back up what Carrie believes, but what is for certain is that the man who, along with Drew, were accused of killing Doreen Levesque were both released. And it's also true, no one has since been arrested and charged with her killing. In 2004, Drew was trying to get a new trial. Carrie was one of the few people who appeared to speak. To name a couple others, Robin Murphy and Sonny Sprada were also there on Carl Drew's behalf, if you will. These prior state's witnesses all claim they were coerced or threatened by the DA and two assistant DAs. Judge Connor, who was hearing this request for a new trial, didn't find any of the recanting witnesses to be credible. In fact, the judge found Robin's testimony, quote, the most incredulous of all the witnesses. So Robin was up there being questioned, but mostly she just kept saying she didn't remember what happened. She doesn't remember what she told the DA's office in April or May of 1980. And she didn't remember saying at Drew's trial that Drew killed Marsden. That's a lot of I don't remembers. Here's something else Judge Connor said, quote, The testimony of Murphy's fellow prostitutes and the police officers who were involved in the Marsden investigation in 1991 reveal Murphy to be a very intelligent, controlling, and violent person whose primary interest was taking care of herself. 23 years in prison have not changed that impression. End quote. It doesn't appear that Robin was at this hearing by choice. At that time in 2004, remember Robin had been paroled. Maybe she was afraid of doing or saying something to jeopardize that parole. Who knows? So where does this leave us? Carl and Robin are both still in prison. Carl Drew has exhausted all of his appeals. Also, according to a DA, there is zero possibility, no matter what happens with Carl Drew, that Robin Murphy will be tried for any of the murders 
that Detective Carey believes she's responsible for. D.A. Stutter says the immunity agreement is almost ironclad. That leaves us, or at least me, to wonder if a man is in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. Did he have the poor taste to have satanic tattoos and be a pimp? Yes. That also means there is a woman in prison for a parole violation that maybe should be there for three homicides. Or maybe things are as they should be. You might have your own opinion, but I tend to think that maybe, just maybe, Carl Drew isn't the killer after all. While you make up your mind, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Crime Biscuit or send me an email at acrimebiscuit at gmail.com. And here is your final crumb. They say the wheels of justice turn slowly. I say, try not to be lying in the middle of the road as it rolls your way. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.